Lauren. Mike. Lauren, how often do you hop on your Peloton bike? I'm going to answer like a Peloton employee would right now and say, funny you should ask, Mike. I was just on it this morning, <laughs> which is true. But then I'm sort of like evading the question yeah. on how often I actually use it. I'm trying to get a sense of whether or not your Peloton usage has dropped over recent months. It absolutely has. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that and other things home workout related on this week's show. I can't wait. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We're also joined by Wired's former executive editor of news, Brian Barrett. <gasps> former. <laughs> Hello, Brian. <laughs> Hi. Oh, not quite yet. I, I guess by the time this airs, I will be former. But for now, I've still got a few hours on the clock. That's right. Uh, by the time you are listening to this show, Brian will have officially left us. His Slack account deactivated. <laughs> no. Oh, man. So it's a sad day for us. And it's a sad day for everybody listening, I'm sure. But Brian, we could not let you leave without dragging you on here one more time to talk about Peloton. I appreciate it. I feel like not only do I love uh, every chance I get to be on Gadget Lab, I love that I, I feel like the, the last two or three times now have been about Peloton, which is I, I, I feel like our in-house... <laughs> go-to Peloton guy, which I'm, I'm happy to be. So because it's Brian's last day, we carried out a little tradition. We made a wired cover, a mock-up of a wired cover with Brian's face on it and um, sent him off this morning with it. And one of the taglines that I came up with for Brian was his next act is that he's going to become a professional Peloton rower. Is that right, Brian? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the point where you tell us actually where you're going to work and what you're going to be doing. All the details. Oh, I can't. I uh, uh, I don't think I'm allowed to say a lot about it, but I'm uh, just going to uh, work on a, a new a startup out of the Emerson Collective focused on trying to find a way to, to promote better conversation online. I think that's that's probably about as much as I can say, but looking for you, know, which what could be easier than that? Right. right. Professional Peloton rower. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can have we can have better conversation here for now. Yeah, Does let's do it. Yeah. yeah, this is a good good trial run. <laughs> All right, let's get on with the show. As you may have heard on this show and elsewhere, Peloton has had a very interesting couple of years. Back at the start of the pandemic, the company saw a huge surge in demand for its bikes and its treadmills. But as people started to ease out of quarantine, they found they had less need for their home workout equipment or the company's streaming workout classes. And through all of this, Peloton has had to sort of re-strategize. It's got a new CEO, changed some parts of its business, closed some offices, and laid off some employees. But the company has continued to put out new products. The latest is a rowing machine. Lauren, we want to start with you because you wrote about the rowing machine this week for Wired. What should we know about it? I do just have to say once more, it is very suspect that Brian Barrett is leaving Wired just as the rower is coming out <laughs> because we've been talking about this for at least two years. So I do think he's going to be He's going to go, he's going to be like in a basement somewhere training to become the next professional Peloton rower. Right. You mentioned in your story that this is the worst kept secret. Yeah, it is. Right. We've known this is coming for a while. It's been leaked before. I think the important thing to consider with a product like 
Peloton Row, as it is called, and the product that was launched before it this spring, Peloton Guide, which is this funky little camera system that tracks your strength training workouts, is that these products have been in the works for around a couple of years now. That's Peloton's typical product development cycle, according to their chief product officer. And so when you think about what was going on two years ago and the kinds of ideas that Peloton might have been conceiving of at the time and the kind of market they saw, you know, addressable market for these kinds of products, maybe it looked a little bit different than it does now. So in some ways, the new products that are being shipped right now feel like a little bit like they're their holdovers from a previous product development era. Um, that's the first thing I'd say about the Peloton Row. The second thing that I would point out is its price. It is $3,200. <laughs> Pardon me, $3,195. Is that what we were expecting? I wasn't expecting it. Brian, were you expecting that? No. And I, I tell you, like, this is what sort of this is what gets me. And, and Lauren, I think to, to, to your point of it feeling like a holdover from sort of a previous Peloton era almost, the pricing feels that way too, right? Because like when the bike first came out, I think they had a reasonable case to say, we are charging more because there's nothing else really like this. Like we're providing this really distinctive experience. I think that was, that held up largely. Um, but now you're introducing the Peloton Row when there are competitive products out there that actually do a pretty good job and, and have a good library of content and have that built-in monitor. The Hydro is sort of the chief example of that. Um, that are much less expensive than than what you're getting with the Peloton Row, uh, so I don't. It, it's it feels harder to justify that much of a premium over a competitive product that is does a lot of the same stuff, as far as I can tell. So I, I and I would say too, like I, I think I am the market for this device, right? Like <laughs> because I I still use my Peloton a lot. I um, I really enjoy it. I'm not really a gym person. I like being able to work out at home. Uh, I'm a former rower uh, in high school and, and some of college. Like th I, I am that guy uh, who should be all over this, but I, I just thirty one ninety five. I just couldn't possibly, you know. It, it's and it all depends on your own personal financial circumstances. But it just seems like a lot to ask of people, especially at a time when one of Peloton's big problems is they've got hardware stacked up in warehouses that they can't move it feels like is this just going to be more hardware that's stacking up that they can't move i don't know hard to say lauren did you get a sense of how many they're expecting to sell like what kind you know i know they don't actually ship until december right or do you have a sense that they're just kind of I don't know. Yeah, no idea. Um, I asked when in December they might be shipping. They didn't really say. I asked why they're pre-announcing it so early. Um, obviously, they want to be in people's brains as we head into a holiday season and people are thinking about the kind of fitness gear or other, you know, internet connected devices that you might be spending on. Um, yeah, but in terms of how many units they expect to move, absolutely no idea. In the product briefing that I had with Peloton, which, by the way, happened over Zoom, so I didn't actually get to try the rower, the product managers I spoke to really emphasized how it's a full body workout. Like you can work out, they kept throwing out the number 86%. You can work out up to 86% of your body um, from a rowing workout if you're doing it properly. Brian certainly knows a lot more about that than the rest of us here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I know when I've used a rower before at the gym, I've been like, I feel like I don't, I'm not doing anything, which certainly means I am doing it wrong. <laughs> so Peloton kept saying like, no, this is like a full body workout, right? And the unspoken comparison there is like, as opposed to say, a bike where you're just primarily using your legs. That said, I still think rowing is a pretty niche sport. Like it's not a lot of people row. 
Um, so I, I don't I, I have no idea how many of these things are going to sell, and especially at such a high price. It is a remarkably efficient workout. You know, like you said, it, it does. They, they were correct about the fact that it works out most of your body. Uh, you can burn as many as like a thousand calories an hour during a rowing workout. And also, you know, we should mention that it has all of the accoutrements of a modern technologically enhanced rower, right? Like it has oh, yeah. a flywheel that um, allows you to dial in how much resistance it gives. So you can you can make it harder to pull or easier to pull. Uh, it and has it's electronic resistance too. So it's quiet. It's not like the wind... Right. The wind-powered ones. I don't know. I'm not describing it well, but you know what I mean. Yeah, there's also water resistance on mm -hmm. some. Like there are some rowers that have a water tank. So when you pull on the the cord, you're actually like pulling paddles through water. So it feels like actual water resistance. So yeah, it is, it is very efficient. And it's the kind of thing that if somebody wants a workout, but they're not a runner and they're not a cyclist, it's a, it's a great option. Well, and I, I want to say Lauren's point about it being a niche sport. I think that's largely true. Uh, um, it's expanding certainly, but rowing machines in general, I think have picked, become a lot more popular thanks to CrossFit and CrossFit like yes. uh, workouts where they have become sort of this integral part of a broader like workout routine or regimen but that leads me to another thing and lauren we've been talking about this <laughs> ever since the peloton row first was a rumor i've been bringing up the fact that there is sort of a standard rowing machine that everybody who is an actual rower or you know does those crop fish or anything like that uses it's the concept two mm -hmm. uh which is a you know it's a 990 dollars device it doesn't have a built-in screen it doesn't it, it, it's been the same basic thing for the last 20 years or so with you know little upgrades along the way and it's loud it has the wind resistance but it is sort of the go-to rowing device and they've actually made some steps you know it doesn't have the built-in screen but you can like hook up an you can get an ipad holder and stream concept to rowing classes like there there it, it, it gets you close enough and it is such a standardized piece of equipment for that sport I, I think Peloton's going to have a hard time bringing actual rowers into the fold. I think it's going to be more people who are just looking for another piece of home gym equipment, which again makes it like a hard sell. Like, like mm -hmm. it's, and this gets back to to Lauren. I think what I what I what I slack you often is I hope Peloton's going to be okay because I genuinely do enjoy the product and like I I really no I do like and and it has made a like it has genuinely made a difference in in my my fitness and and all that. Uh, but man, I just, I, I don't, I don't, it's rough going. Right. And, and this does not seem to be, uh, the, the way out of those choppy waters. I think Peloton is really betting that Peloton fanatics will buy into this because of the Peloton content. Like this is definitely part of a larger strategy to get more people into Peloton subscription services. You're going to end up paying, of course, $44 per month extra just to stream that content. But, you know, it's not Cody Rigsby who's doing the rowing classes. So that would be hilarious. But like the idea is like that their instructors are just so dynamic and so enthusiastic they really have their own fan bases at this point. They have like huge Instagram presences that that would be one of the draws for people to maybe like buy into Peloton as opposed to something like a Nordic track or Hydro or Concept2. There actually is some interesting tech in this because it's quote unquote integrated. Mm. So the difference between putting your iPad up on like an OG rower and using that and this is that 
you know, the display is directly connected to the body of the rower. This display is also a swivel display. So you could like do a rowing workout, hop up, swivel the display, and then do a Peloton boot camp or strength training workout and stack your classes in that way. Um, there's a sensor that's built into the center rail of the rower and then another sensor that's built into the main hub of the rower. And those sensors are telling you whether or not your form is correct and it's measuring your strokes and it's showing your output and your resistance live on screen. So all that like stuff that's built into some of the other Peloton products that are giving you real-time like engagement with instructors, live feedback, helping you correct your forms, you're doing it properly. That's all stuff that, you know, you're going to get from this machine, supposedly, we haven't tried it yet, that you might not get from one of the other more standard rowers. And I will say the form check, assuming it works, which as you said, we haven't tried it yet, we don't know. But that is actually, I think, a pretty big deal and a good differentiator because it is an easy thing to get wrong and you can do bad things to your back or just not get very much out of the workout if you don't get the form down well. So I, I, I'm curious to see how that works basically, I guess, because it is, I think when you, sometimes you, you'll go and you'll see people on the rowing machine at the gym and you want to say, oh no, oh, oh no, oh, not, not like that. <laughs> Anything that looks like it's going to hurt your back, it makes me very uncomfortable to see people <laughs> doing because uh, I worry. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a worrier. I worry for people. Sounds like a true dad. Walking down the sidewalk sometimes makes me think I'm going to hurt my back. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brian, another quick thing that Peloton said, they designed the handlebar. It reminds me a little bit of like a coat hanger. It's got this 10 degree angle to it. So it's rounded towards you as opposed to the handlebars being curved away from you. And they said that's better ergonomically. Do you have thoughts on that? You know, I saw that and I don't have thoughts on it. I'm, I'd be curious to try it because what I'm used to is just sort of straight handlebars and you just grab it and you pull it and go. So I, I don't, it feels like an if it ain't broke kind of situation to me, but I, maybe it's maybe it's a truly revolutionary way to <laughs> yank on a handle. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I think know we're better. just making a greater case for you having to at least come back and review this thing for us. Sold. <laughs> Let me add it. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with more. So in case you missed it, the president of the United States went on TV recently and told all of us Americans that the pandemic is over. So thank God for that. Regardless of whether that is actually true, people are going to the gym more often. They're playing pickup basketball. They're joining running groups and cycling groups. We saw a lot of home workout services get super popular during COVID lockdown, not just Peloton, but Mirror and Echelon, Apple Fitness Plus, Zoom Yoga. Is there still room for all of these home workout choices, even though we may be spending less time at home now? Yes. 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 I would say the the trend I find most interesting is seeing how this has made some fitness boutiques and gym chains consider ways to add on to memberships and subscriptions uh, in ways that they didn't before. So now, for example, the yoga studio that I go to happens to offer live Zoom classes at the same exact time they offer an in-person class. And by the way, that's two different instructors. It's not just the in-person class being live streamed. They have a dedicated Zoom class 
in a, it's at a different tier of membership. Wow. And I don't see that as something that's going away anytime soon. I think there are a lot of people out there who got used to doing stuff from home um, or they have responsibilities at home. They're working from home. They're taking care of kids or family members. And they're like, I can't get out to the studio or the gym, but I want I still want to live stream and I'm willing to pay for that because it's worth it for the other times I may be able to go in person or be a part of a membership in another way. And so I think in that way, I've, I personally, I've seen like the whole fitness space kind of transformed. What do you think, Brian? I used to go to the gym sometimes, but not because I enjoyed it so much as because it was the only option, right? So I feel like given the choice, I think I'd rather just suffer uh, and just (laughs) by myself in my little room. I think people who always enjoy the gym are going to make it back to the gym. I think people who didn't necessarily enjoy the gym or it's not that I don't enjoy it, but like the extra 20 minutes it takes to go to the gym and then back to the gym and then getting changed, like all that time is time I could have back by just working out at home. Uh, I don't see myself building more commute time into my day when I don't have to. And so I do think like for, for people like myself, yeah, I, I think the home fitness trend is here to stay. I will say though, I think I'm in the minority, not just because of Lauren, what you said, but even when I look at friends who I know had Pelotons and I look at their accounts, people who were working out four times a week are now working out once every couple of weeks. If that, I think pretty universally, uh, everyone I know who has a bike has kind of really tapered off of that. I think part of that too is seasonal. It's summer. So you can like, you know, I'll go for, I'll go for a run a few times uh, a week instead of getting Mm -hmm. on the bike. And so that doesn't necessarily register, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's, 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 it still has a place, but I just don't know if it has enough of a place to be sustainable. I also don't think it's necessarily a direct comparison or maybe a binary is a good way to put that. I don't think it's necessarily, are you doing in-person gym classes or at-home online gym classes? Our lives, as we have entered now what has officially been termed a post-pandemic era, though it doesn't feel that we're post-pandemic, <laughs> but okay, Um they're just busier now. There was that famous thing that I think it was the Netflix CEO said a while ago about his biggest competitor being sleep, mm-hmm. right? Any of the time that potential viewers were sleeping was time that they were not sitting there watching Netflix. And so now one of the biggest competitors to at-home fitness may not just be the in-person gym. It may be that people are commuting back to work. People are back to going to kids' birthday parties. People are back to taking vacations. People are just back to um, some semblance of a normal life. Though Once again, nothing really feels normal still. Um, and so all of those bits of time that may have, like, you know, things felt kind of uh, smooth in this unnatural way before when we were all just had to be home because we were encouraged to basically lock it all down. Um, we're out in the world again. That itself just means maybe a little bit less time for hanging out on the Peloton. I think Peloton and the other streaming home workout services are aware of this, obviously, and they're doing some things to entice people back in. Uh, you know, this year we saw Lane Break, which is the the system. It's like a gamification system for cycling classes, right? There's the guide, which you wrote about, Lauren, which is the movement tracking camera that sort of helps you, you know, have better form while you're lifting weights, which can also translate into the gym. Yeah, I think they've sold three of those. <laughs> <laughs> did you ask them how it's selling? I did. I did. I asked Tom Cortese, their co-founder and chief product officer, how it's selling. And he was just like, 
well, you know, we're going to be doing another marketing push around that for the yeah. holidays. And I was like, that is an excellent non-answer. But another, in terms of things that Peloton has been doing lately to entice people, Lauren, have you seen this? Uh, they've got Ashton Kutcher doing a series of tread classes where he brings in some celebrity friends. Kim Kardashian is is on. I did see a that tread Kim K was there. Uh, and it looks like based on the metrics that they show, you know, they, they show you within an order of magnitude how many people are taking classes. It looks like one of the most popular tread classes they've done. Like, I think so. Like, that's an interesting place for them to grow is to lean into celebrity tie-ins, maybe. Because they and they've done that previously with music uh, and, you know, artist series. But actually having a Kardashian on your product doing a, a live class, I, you know, I, I can see how that makes it more event viewing. Uh, or, or or event jogging than otherwise. Yeah, and I think that really underscores that Peloton is a media company, and now they're emphasizing more so than ever their subscription business. That's the kind of thing that would get attention from people who might, I don't know, uh, you know, pay thirteen dollars per month for the mobile app and then be incentivized to be like, how do I, how do I upgrade? How do I get to the next level so I can hang out with Kim K or A plus K? Um, which is, I think that's Ashton Kutcher's handle, right? It's kind of weird that I know that. But anyway, uh, yeah. Not weird at all. Yeah, I could see that. It also, I think, says a little bit about how the company is thinking about celebrity in general. Because for a while, Brian, like we've talked about how their instructors are micro celebrities. And that seems to have happened very much organically over the past several years. But I wonder if there's a ceiling to that, to like the power of the instructor celebrity, where now they're like, we have to, we got to take it to the next level. What well, or does that also create another kind of vulnerability when when Apple decides to level up their fitness offering and like steals away a couple of popular Peloton instructors? Like, does that? It, it's a tricky thing, right? The the bigger they get, the the more fundamental they are to the business, and then the the bigger the blow if and when they actually leave. That hasn't happened yet, though. I think we haven't seen any major defections, probably because of various contractual <laughs> obligations. Yes. But at a certain point, that's you know going to be a thing to keep an eye on, right? It seems inevitable that at a certain point, some of those big names will either try to go out on their own or go out with another competitive brand. Um, and seeing yeah, how like, that shuffling happens is going to be really interesting. Yeah, like what would happen if Robin Arzone left Peloton and said, I'm going to start my own fitness app? be kind of fascinating yeah the all for one artist series are very good i personally am waiting for a harry styles one i think that'd be really fun brian's just nodding nodding well, i was just nodding which is good always good for a pod this is why i make a great podcast guest <laughs> <laughs> nods just nods my facial expressions and my nods have been really on point this whole time i feel like brian and i are just having this very jockey conversation right now and we haven't asked you mike what you think about the in-person versus online fitness revolution. I have never been a gym person. I've tried. I've held on to gym memberships for, I think my longest run was like five months. Uh, and I just never saw the value in it because I draw greater value from just being on the streets. The streets are my gym, Lauren. The streets are my gym. I hop on my bicycle. I go for a nice bike ride. I go for a run. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that bring me joy. So standing around in a room waiting for somebody to finish on the the whatever machine so I can wipe it down and then use it and also sort of stick to it, uh, not my thing. And also, you know, like Brian was saying, like commuting to and from is a big deal because you yeah. have to find a gym you like. We live in a city. There are a lot of options, but not all of them are great. So I prefer to just 
huff and puff on the grid. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. All right, here we are, the last third of the show, where we talk about the things that our listeners might enjoy. Brian, this is, I know your favorite part, and it's our favorite part too, and this is the last time you get to recommend something to our audience for the foreseeable future, not ruling out ever, but for the foreseeable future. Please tell us, what is your recommendation this week? I'm. You know what? Y'all need to subscribe to Wired. (laughs) (laughs) What a homer. That's my recommendation. No, I, I'm, 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 I'm. By the time you are listening to this, I'm no longer a, a Wired employee, so you know that it's uh, an unbiased recommendation. But oh yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> it's it's incredibly affordable. It's incredible. It's uh, you get so much value from it, and you get to support the work of people like Mike and Lauren and 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 everyone else here. So I, I genuinely. Subscribe to Wired. These are the best people and the smartest people uh, and the kindest people that you're going to meet. And they do incredible journalism. So that's what I recommend. Gosh, darn it. If somebody wants to subscribe to Wired, how would they do that? I I don't know. You Google it. uh, (laughs) You go to www.wired.com slash subscribe slash good, G-O-O-D-E. You forgot the H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash. In the URL. <laughs> URL readbacks are always a joy here. I don't on know. So show. a long time ago, someone made me one what they call the vanity URL. So yeah. and then like if you went to that, you would get 50% off, which cracks me up because it's like a $5 per year subscription. Yeah, it is. Thank you, Brian, for that recommendation. I have to say, Brian, I'm really, really going to miss you. It's been such a pleasure working with you these past... F- I've been here four and a half years. You've been here seven years, seven and a half years at this mm-hmm. point. And... Um, I mean, people listening to the podcast won't know this because you don't see the inner workings of our newsroom. But I always like to say that Brian is um, the human A-B tester for headlines. Like you run a story idea by him or send him a link to the story you've been working on. And he's just like, this is the headline. And it just always performs really well. He has a great instinct for what people want to read. Um, He himself is like a master storyteller. Like, I don't know how you've done it, Brian. You're just like, oh, I'm just going to like be the editor of all the news. But then every so often, I'm just going to write a story about license plates or some cybersecurity breach. And it's going to be the most read story on the site because it's really smart and insightful. It's um, practice. Yeah. You know, like sometimes when you when you go into like a higher institution of learning and people say to you, um, the point of being here is not that you that people tell you what to think point is that people tell you how to think or how to question so that you can form your own opinions. I feel like that's what it's like working with Brian. Like Brian, you don't, you know, you're not telling people what to write. Although sometimes that's part of your job too. You're telling people how to think about what we're covering and what we're writing about um, so that we can put out, you know, some of the, hopefully what's the smartest journalism out there. So thank you for everything. It's been a real pleasure working with you. Lauren, thank you. That that was incredibly kind. And and the the good news is, when you work with people who are so talented, it's incredibly easy to be an editor <laughs> because because everything's just so good to start with. It's uh and especially uh you know uh, you and Mike I've, I've I've worked really closely with um off and on over the last few years and it's uh yeah uh, you know y- y'all are the best. Oh, thank you. 
Well, to balance out that thoughtfulness, I'm going to tell you what to do, Lauren. Okay. <laughs> Give us your recommendation. Oh, okay. That's right. Mike <laughs> is the boss now. Um, so I didn't come to the podcast with a recommendation ready this week. I've been racking my brain as we've been taping. What's the thing I'm into right now? And I have to say the thing I've been listening to is um, a podcast called Fiasco. And in particular, I've been listening to season five, which is about the AIDS crisis. Mm. The first three episodes are free through Apple Podcasts. After that, it kicks you out to Audible because it's co-produced between our friends over at Prologue Projects and Audible. Um, so you have to pay for an Audible subscription if you want to listen to the rest of it. But uh, yeah, it basically goes back to the earliest days of the AIDS crisis when um, people didn't really know what this disease was and how it was spreading. And it was incredibly alarming. And just it was a really, really devastating time for a lot of communities. The podcast is exceptionally well done. I'm on episode five now, and um, I can't stop listening. So I recommend that. Nice. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, I'm going to recommend an article that is a feature story that appeared this week on Bon Appetit, written by Rachel Levin, a independent journalist. It is called I Eat Meat. Why was killing my own food so hard? And this is a first-person account by Rachel Levin about uh, going on a hunt. She went to a uh, an organized hunt in New Mexico on private land to hunt elk uh, for sustenance. So, like, you shoot an animal and then they butcher it for you, and then you fly home with steaks, and then you eat the animal over the next you know months and years. It's really interesting because hunting. There's not a lot of people who know a lot about hunting. I think like 1% of Californians hunt. It's more common in other parts of the country. But you know, there's a lot of people who don't like guns. There's a lot of people who don't like the idea of killing animals. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't like the idea of like the the machismo and, you know, sort of right-leaning aspects of hunting. So it has a, a bad rap mostly because people won't engage with it. So she decided, I'm going to go engage with it. I'm going to learn how to hunt, and I'm going to kill an animal and eat it. And she does in the story, and it's incredible. The group that she goes hunting with is mostly women, uh, which is also really interesting. So it sort of takes the the machismo argument out of the equation. Uh, It's just a really wonderful story. And what does she conclude about it? She has this interesting experience. I won't spoil it necessarily. Uh, but she has a really interesting experience that she defines as transformative. Hmm. So after she kills an elk, she feels different as a human being than she did before she killed the elk. Oh, that's really interesting. Does the headline give away the the spoiler? Because isn't the headline how, like, the name of the story was... I, I eat meat. meat. Why was killing my own food so hard? Oh. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like a, you know, it's a moral dilemma to... If you've never done it before, to pick up a gun and kill an animal. And, I, I, you know, my favorite part about it was one of the instructors says to her, whether or not you hunt again, now you've done it. So you understand it. Hmm. Really great story. Wow. And in Bon Appetit, which is interesting because there are a lot of good reasons to hunt, right? It is an effective tool for population control. Uh, it's also better for the planet if you hunt meat than buy something from a factory farm. And it's also, you know important for people to understand where their food comes from. Hunting is a 
big part of understanding that. So uh, the fact that it appears in Bon Appetit, which I should mention is a Condé Nast publication. Right, it's our sister mag. Yeah, our sister magazine has nothing to do with why I'm recommending it. It's just that's, you know, who bought the story from her uh, and paid for her to go on this trip. It's it's uh, really quite wonderful. Didn't Mark Zuckerberg go through this? He did. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of like Silicon Valley influencers and just influencers in general over the past two years who've said, I'm going to start killing my own meat. And I do think it's important that if people are going to eat meat, that they have a complete full understanding of where it comes from. So sure. You know, That's we can't get through a single podcast in this room without talking about Meta, Facebook, or Mark Zuckerberg in some way. Or so. veganism, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I do. Yeah. How how uh, <laughs> how pompous do you want me to get here? Do you want me to go right. like six eight, or do you want yeah. me to go like seven nine? No, I mean, good thing you didn't go to Harvard because we'd probably hear about that every podcast episode. Too. You absolutely would. Instead, you get to hear about the University of Vermont oh, oh, and the I vegan mean. from New England. All right. Well, that is our show, Brian. Thank you for joining us. Oh. Thank you so much for having me a sad moment. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back sans Brian Barrett next week. Until then, goodbye. Did you get that? Did you, do you need her to say it again? No. Do you need her to you say just, it again? Can you just leave that in and <laughs> just... take out the rest of the surrounding context? Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.